What does a pharmacist do? Well, most people might answer that a pharmacist dispenses the medications that my doctor prescribes. Now, I work with a ton of great pharmacists, and one thing that I don't generally see is excitement about pills in a vial. And this is probably because pharmacists have been trained to do so much more. So what can you get excited about in your community? To find out, let's go beyond the scripts. Welcome back to the Beyond the Scripts podcast. I'm your host, Will Tuft, the Director of Education here at Pioneer RX. And so finally, we've had a little bit of normalcy getting back out on the road and I've been to a couple trade shows lately. And when I'm on the trade show floor, I get to interact with so many different uh, pharmacies of all types. And oftentimes when somebody approaches the booth, they say, tell me about your software. And I say, well, tell me about your pharmacy. And that's a really great way to kind of get that elevator pitch off the cuff about what independent pharmacy owners really kind of identify their pharmacy as. So a lot of times they'll really focus on that niche that they fill. Well, we do a lot of nursing home, you know, uh, cycle fills. We do X, we do, you know, Y. There's all of these different niches that they have found that they've really filled in their community and identify with. Today, uh, we have somebody who uh, may have a much longer elevator pitch about what their pharmacy does and identifies as uh, because we have Barry Klein, which I feel like a lot of people who are going to be watching this episode uh, are probably familiar with. You're you're one of those fixtures that, uh, you know, I, I feel like people recognize at the trade shows, hey, there's Barry, let's go see what he's up to. So, Barry, thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> hey, I appreciate the opportunity, Will. So it's always good to see you. I, I look forward to the Nashville trade show, honestly, um, to see people again. Going out, you know, we made it to NCPA recently, and it was just so great to be, you know, out and, and having those interactions. Another thing you see at the trade shows, you know, aside from just that interaction is that introduction to so many new opportunities uh, you know, every classroom has some amazing, you know, success story uh, with with pharmacy that found, you know, a 340B opportunity, a, a better way to, you know, um, uh, organize their workflow, their adherence packaging, uh, opportunities, opportunities. Uh, and you at Kleins have found very many of those uh, opportunities and really tied uh, – a lot of those different things into your pharmacy. So if if you had to give me a, a pitch on Klein's pharmacy, like that elevator pitch, tell me about your pharmacy. Uh, how would you describe your, uh, your organization? Well, first of all, we've been in business uh, at the corner of Broad Boulevard and State Road in Cuyahoga Falls for 50 years, over 50 years now. It's been 55 uh, my father started in 1966, and I've been there since full time since 1990. So that's part of the reason I have a long elevator pitch is I've been doing this a while. Um, <laughs> secondly, is I guess our philosophy has always been trying to find the solutions to our patients. So I think the best way to approach that is when we've started, when I came back to pharmacy, Clausarill at the point in time was just starting to be dispensed. At that point in time, it took weekly blood draws, it took prior authorizations with the, the payers. Uh, we were one of the very own few pharmacies at the point in time that was willing to do the work. 
Um, so fast forward, that has morphed into kind of a focus of our business is servicing uh, the severe mentally ill patient population of Summit County and the developmentally disabled population of, of Summit County. Uh, in 2008, my wife, Ann, and I, who's also a pharmacist, we opened up a pharmacy and community support services, which is an outpatient mental health pharmacy in Summit County, serving the moderate to severely mentally ill patient population of our community. Um, that was a great opportunity because it really meets one of our passions of taking care of an underserved patient population. With that, one of the needs they had, one of the solutions they needed was adherence packaging. So way back in the 90s, we started doing adherence packaging. Um, so in 2017, we opened up another pharmacy that was strictly a closed door pharmacy focused on adherence packaging. And we serve group home, predominantly medical at home, patient populations, trying to take care of those patients with complex medication needs. Yeah, that's that's a lot. <laughs> Sorry. So, no, no, no. I was, I was, uh, you know, uh, whenever I have a guest on here, you, you, uh, you know, I want to try to figure out what is that thing that they do that no one else does, and you just do so many. Um, so back it up a little bit. The uh, the the flagship location. Uh, your dad opened that up in, in uh, 66, you said. So did you kind of grow up uh, in the pharmacy? Did did you have that kind of like, you know, I didn't go to daycare. I went in stock shelves kind of uh, upbringing. <laughs> Pretty much. So one of my favorite stories is the building we're still in. My father was one of the tenants in the building. There was a beauty shop at the other end of the, the building, not a very large building by any stretch. But I always had to empty the trash. I always hated going past the beauty shop because of the smell of the perms that all the ladies would be getting <laughs> at the beauty shop. So I still have very vivid memories of that. That is, it, it is funny how those, uh, those, those, those memories can just kind of, and seep, seep in so strongly, especially when when you have those strong smells. To me, Aquanet just still reminds me of my sisters growing up. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So yeah, I've actually um, made it up to your your pharmacy uh, a handful of times. Uh, I actually got to spend some time back in my days as an installer uh, uh, in in that uh, pharmacy for quite a while. And what what's interesting is you know you kind of glazed over the fact that that flagship location is really kind of that traditional uh, you know community hub retail. Uh, area as well. So there, there's a lot going on in that one building. There is. We now have two pharmacies in that one building. Um, one's the closed door, one's the retail that has a USP 800 compliant compound lab. Um, so there is a lot going on. Um, we've been very busy with COVID testing, uh, COVID vaccines. You, know, you talk about COVID testing. It, it was a solution that people needed um, because there wasn't access to COVID testing. And I said, how do we figure this out? Because um, we had heard that labs, you couldn't partner with labs. So back to our mental health patient population with clozapine, they need blood draws. We contact the lab that we do blood draws with all the time or work with them. Hey, can you do COVID testing? Sure, we can work with you. We can partner with you and get this done. So that's how we were able to provide that solution in our community and, and proud of that because people were really struggling at that point in time 
to get COVID tested. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so again, that's one of the reoccurring themes we hear is, you know, independent pharmacies uh, realizing a need in their community and then leveraging those relationships that they've built. And a lot of times those relationships may be more, you know, we, we think more of a prescriber relationship, uh, but you're kind of looking at those ancillary services as like, you know, those are relationships that you've built. How can, how can I adapt those? Uh, so it's kind of, kind of a neat twist on, on that, uh, that story that we hear over and over, but, but that's really neat. So, uh, did you guys do point of care testing ahead of that or was that kind of your first? No, we were doing um, some point of care testing, but at that point in time, it was very limited. Uh, people just weren't in the mindset of coming to the pharmacy to get point of care tested, but we were prepared to do it. Um, and to the benefit of, you know, some forward thinking team members that we do have at Klein's. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, at one point people didn't think about going to the pharmacy for vaccinations either. Correct. Correct. And when you look back through time, it's hard to imagine that even being a possibility because we've provided so much access to so many vaccines over the years now. Yeah, it really seems like that next step, especially, you know, every time flu season comes around. And and somebody comes into the pharmacy and they're like, hey, I, I think I have the flu. And you're like, well, go to their doctor. And then they come back from the doctor and they say, well, I had the flu. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> I, I figured. But it, it seems like this uh, unnecessary loop in, in, the, in the system that uh, could have been handled so much more efficiently because the prescribers probably would love to have that offloaded, uh, you know, to that first point of contact when they came into the pharmacy. Right, right. And that's, we have a collaborative practice agreement so that we can initiate Tamiflu therapy if, if appropriate. Uh, so we can do the flu testing and, and then initiate therapy if it's positive. Yeah, that just makes so much sense. Um, so being around the pharmacy from uh, 1966, I'm trying to think. So was your, was your father like uh, really ready to embrace change at, at every turn or was he more of the kind of traditionalist and i feel like we should at least mention his name uh, uh, i'm not familiar so ed ed all right <laughs> so so was ed the uh the I'm, I'm ready to evolve i'm ready for that new opportunity guy or was he the just give me my typewriter no he he was always looking to evolve uh, he was one of the first pharmacists, pharmacies in the community to actually computerize. So we computerized in the mid-70s. And wow. I'm embarrassed to say when I graduated pharmacy school in the mid-80s, my first job with the chain, uh, that pharmacy wasn't computerized. Wow. Wow. That's <laughs> so, pretty amazing. <laughs> you know, mid-80s and they don't have a computer and I was having to learn how to do everything via a typewriter. Um, that was not fun. No, no, I, I just can't imagine, uh, just the, the amount of, you know, um, billing and, and, and administrative work after the fact is just wild. Yeah. Submitting claims. I, I, you know, what we went through from submitting claims on diskettes, you know, but at the chain, we were having to fill out claim forms. So it was, and, and that has evolved so much, thank goodness. Uh, you talk about vaccines. 
and, and the partnership part Pioneer has with STC to transmit that to the state immunization sites. It's just tremendous. Yeah, yeah, a couple of partners, STC, SMP, um, really, you know, but like I said, a lot, even now, uh, there there's still some state agencies that are not all that, um, you know, uh, technology forward. <laughs> right. So getting back to your question, yeah, my father did always embrace um, moving the pharmacy forward. And, and to the point where I think that was part of my upbringing is, you know, we have patients that have problems. We need to find solutions for them. You know, if you if it's a difficult to find medication, just don't say, oh, I can't get it. You know, does a colleague have it? Can you buy it from the hospital? You know, what what are the alternatives to make sure that we can take care of that patient? Yeah, absolutely. So that would that would definitely make sense to to make that leap, you know, from, uh, you know, looking for solutions to being the go to. Uh, for solutions, you know, especially the example you gave the uh, the mental health arena where, you know, your big box stores probably aren't going to put in the legwork and, and a lot of smaller pharmacies probably, you know, may not be that um, open to new new tasks to, you know, what what may sound like, you know, uh, could could be more work could be, you know, is it going to be worth it? You know, so there's definitely a level of entrepreneurialism, a level of risk. Uh, but also, like you said, that there there has to be that passion that says, yes, I want to I want to do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because and then naivety, you know, fast forward or fast look back in my career. I, I just that's what what you did. You just figured out a solution. I, I, I hope at this day, 30 years later, would I still do that? I hope I would. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, how um, how how do you make that work when 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 you bring in something new like okay, we're going to start basically doing lab testing before anybody else is doing lab testing, uh, and at that point, was it still just the flagship location? Yes, yes. Okay. That's our that's our traditional retail site. So the other locations aren't necessarily retail. The one in the outpatient mental health center, it, it's only for the patient population of that agency. It's a 3,000 patient outpatient facility. Um, so it, it's busy as it is. Yeah. So, so at that point, were you still, you know, the like primary bench pharmacist or did you have uh, other staff pharmacists at that point? Um, we always had staff pharmacists. Our, our you know, as you refer to the flagship store, was a busy pharmacy in the community. So we always had two to three pharmacists, um, for the most part, majority of my career that were staffing that location. So yeah, I would staff 35, 45 hours a week and then try to do everything else on top of it. So yeah. as, as I aged, that became more and more challenging and pharmacy became more and more complex. Okay, I'm going to stop calling that one the the flagship because everyone uh everyone at your other stores is going to be giving you a hard time. Oh, Barry must be at the flagship today. <laughs> <laughs> the original. <laughs> so, um yeah, so a as you introduce those those new things, you know, hey, we're going to start doing lab tests and and at that point Barry can do that too. Uh so so what'd you bring in next? What what do you think your next big um you know, kind of adaptation or leap was from, from that. Well, in Ohio with the managed care entities for Medicaid, we're really trying to, the provider status, 
you know, we can do the testing, but the mechanism to get paid isn't necessarily there. So those are the things that we're working with in some of the pilot uh, opportunities that we're participating in. It, it's like person with diabetes, a chronic disease state. Uh, can we bill for a hemoglobin A1C? Uh, we can per perform the test, but can we get paid for the test? <laughs> yeah. Um, so those are the questions that we're having now and working through it. Yeah, there's there's a lot of those, uh, you know, chicken and the egg, uh, which comes first, and you know, be, being able to to provide those services is, is great. But yeah, you, you have to be able to monetize them, right? And, and I, I try to always look at things from a business perspective as well. Uh, I make sure first and foremost we always take care of the patient, so we do what we need to do. Um, and then on the back end, I feel that's somewhat of my responsibility is how are we going to get paid to do this? Uh, but I don't want to go full steam ahead if there's no mechanism to get compensated for it either. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and today it, it, it's interesting that there, you know, there, there are definitely some initiatives, some, some organization is really what it's going to take is that. Uh, you know, being able to standardize and and provide in a uniform way. Here's a you know a way to quantify those services, um, and that's exciting to see with you know flipped pharmacy and CPESN kind of moving that needle forward. Right, and we've made a lot of progress in the past year, I would say, and I'm hopeful for exponential growth of that because I think with COVID, it has shown how community pharmacy really plays a vital role in individual communities' health and, and how do we leverage those resources that we have already in the community. And I, in Ohio, I want to say the managed care plans have recognized that and really want to take advantage of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, COVID's been, um, if, if there is a silver lining, you know, it's been great for independent pharmacies to be able to illustrate their value on a, on a larger scale than ever, probably. Correct. So, and, and, you know, some of the other things that we're doing, you know, my wife's very passionate about what we do with our, our severely mentally ill patient population. Um, just for a fact that some of the things that we take for granted, Adherence calls when people don't have a robot, steady housing, places to eat, all those things introduce other challenges. But so what other opportunities can we take advantage to engage that patient to make sure that A, they feel comfortable and we're reaching out to them in a means that we can connect to them to keep them on their medications? Because a lot of the medications they take cause other disease states. You know, you're dealing with their mental illness. Now they have diabetes, they have hypertension, high cholesterol. So they become a very complex patient that needs to be treated as a whole patient. So, you know, I, I'm very proud of what Ann and her staff have done at that location from a standpoint of looking after that patient and being that, that pharmacy that's going to look at that patient, not just from one disease state, but the whole patient. Yeah, so let's let's dig into that a little bit. So when when you're at the original location, and um, you know, it sounds like early on you saw that that need in the community for you know assistance with the mental health uh, community, and then you you start performing those labs, and and you start providing more and more emphasis uh, on that. Eventually, that grew into a whole nother pharmacy, but 
I'm really curious of how you're able to make that work and how you're able to grow that uh, while still keeping your eye on all of the other parts of your pharmacy that were, you know, already a full-time concern, a full-time area of focus. So, you know, did you delegate? Did you, did you have a team member that you made a champion of that early on? How, how did you, because you have so many different niches that you perform. I'm curious how you really are able to keep all of those just moving forward so strongly. Well, I, I think part of it is just understanding I can't do it all. Uh, so really, I have focused on having a staff of managers at the pharmacy locations. And then I have Dan, who's vice president of pharmacy operations, and he oversees the day-to-day operations of the pharmacy and making sure that we're doing everything we can. You know, he's staffing two to three days a week as well across the three different locations, but it's been vital to build in some infrastructure. And I think that's what I've learned over the years um, when I was trying to staff you know, 40 hours a week and do everything else. It's just hard to keep your your eye on the ball when there's different balls bouncing at the same time. Yeah. I, I remember when um, uh, I came to visit your, your location the first time as an installer. Uh, and at that point, you were still, you were only in part of the building, but I, I think you were beginning the, the expand uh, to expand into the other part. And I just remember being uh, a bit overwhelmed by the, uh, like kind of the different sections that you had. So I remember, you know, a nice, uh, uh, retail area where you had everything that you would typically pick up at your neighborhood drugstore. Uh, so you had that great kind of community experience. Uh, and then you had uh, a packaging device. Uh, and then downstairs, I spent, a lot of time with those Okie Data uh, printers for your pouch packaging. <laughs> that <laughs> was switch. <laughs> me too. Every now and then, when I when I hear an Okie Data off in the distance, so, <laughs> so I, I feel like we we're, we're going to need an appendix for anybody who's like you know under thirty uh, for diskettes and uh, Okie Data printers. These are just. Uh, Google, they're Googleable. <laughs> we just got rid of our last Okie data in 2017, Will. So, I mean, we were still using them until we installed the new automation and the new closed door pharmacy we opened in 2017. So, yeah, I mean, so, you know, the, they're a bit dated. You know, they, they still make these Okie data printers and they're still exactly the same as they were 30 years ago, but they're solid. You know, they work. And that, that pill packing system was, uh, it, it was pretty versatile. You know, I, I can definitely see some of the advantages of that. Um, so let, let's talk about that in itself for a minute because you had a, a whole rack of these <laughs> printers and you had been doing that probably since, you know, those Okie data printers were pretty state-of-the-art. <laughs> I mean, we started doing, I, I, I even cringe to say it, DocuDose packaging in the mid-90s when we identified that with the mental health patient population, they had a real struggle with medication adherence. So we've had, we were doing that for 20 plus years of using those Oki datas and printing the DocuDose bags. Yeah, which is a really great way to step into the adherence packaging realm. It prints directly from software. Um, 
but yeah, the printers are definitely a, a bit of a throwback. So what did, uh, <laughs> what did you end up moving to? Uh, SinMed. SinMed, yeah. And the reason is we wanted the flexibility and that was the automation that provided us the most flexibility. It can do 40, I believe, different packaging styles. And right now we use three different packaging styles. We use Dispill for some patients. We use the 30-day cards for some of our group homes. And then we use the multi-dose cards for the majority of our patients. But that one piece of automation by just switching the trays gives us the capability to produce those three different cards. Nice. Nice. That's, it's always interesting to hear, um, you know, which, which specific device has worked best based on your needs, because obviously, you know, a, a different automation solution may be better for somebody else or better for you. So it's always great to kind of hear specifically why that was a, you know, a great tool. And what I wanted to look at, too, is the competitive landscape. What was going to differentiate us in the market compared to our other players? All the other competitors in our area are using pouch systems. So I wanted to use a different type of solution that would make us stand out compared to our competitors. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, if everybody was using, uh, you know, pouches just – you know, providing the same service in a different format may be enough to make it noticeable, to make it stand out. And that's that's probably something that uh, most pharmacies don't consider when they're looking at automation is what is everyone around me doing? And, you know, can that in itself be uh, a way to stand out? Right, right. So in the uh, – so is that all still downstairs? Oh, no. No? No. Downstairs is – Pretty much it. We expanded the employee break area, um, have just two desks back there. Everything's upstairs now. Um, so we've really made it, uh, try to make it an employee friendly environment for the staff. Uh, and I think we've accomplished it. Open space so we can reconfigure, uh, put a lot of thought in, into how we design the space so that as technology changes, we can reconfigure the space if need be. Nice. Nice. Good thinking. Yeah. I remember a couple uh tight passageways over there where the, the single dose machine was. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so as you're growing these different programs, you know, um, obviously you've got to have a strong team. Um, at what point did, did you make the decision, Hey, we need to not only expand this building, uh, you know, that, that seems like a pretty easy, easy step to make, but it, at what point did you say, yeah, let's move outside these walls and let's open another pharmacy of some type? Well, over the years, we've had upwards to five pharmacies at different locations. So we've been in and out of market depending on the opportunities. Uh, my father had a pharmacy in downtown Akron in the 70s. So when I was in high school, I think that's where I got my first exposure to people with severe mental illness because they lived right down the street. So they'd come in, they'd buy their lottery tickets, you know, unfortunately buy their cigarettes, get their prescriptions filled. Um, so I started interacting, you know, with the mental health population at an early age, didn't think twice of it. Um, and I think, unfortunately, a lot of people have that stigma and fear. So I think that set me up for part of the joy I have in my career is helping to make a difference. Um, 
But like I said, we've been in multiple different locations over the years based on the opportunities. And sometimes those opportunities go away. So we've had to close those locations over the years. Uh, for me personally, at this point in career, I find three is the max number of pharmacies that I can manage. Um, other people can manage more than that. But yeah, I think at three or more than three, you start having to have other infrastructure needs. And, and at this point in my career, I'm really not interested in that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So um, are you guys running a central office scenario where you can kind of share records? Yes, um, it was imperative. So when we were evaluating pharmacy softwares, that was one of the key decisions. And just like you came to Kleins, we went actually down to Shreveport to see Pioneer's offices. And, and that was a wonderful experience and got to meet people and interact with them and get a better understanding of how Pioneer works. Um, and central office was critical in that decision. Awesome. Yeah, there's a... Uh, a lot of the same uh, same faces you saw back then are, are probably still here. So it is kind of neat. We're actually moving uh, to uh, a beautiful new office here in Shreveport area. And, and then now we have the, the Irving as well. So, uh, yeah, yeah, similar. <laughs> so um, as, as you've uh, grown into those new opportunities, uh, you know, seeing an opportunity and, and saying, yes, let's let's do it. You know, takes uh, takes one skill set. I, I think another skill set is maybe saying, "Hey, you know, it, it's time to rein this one in and and loop back for the next." Can you talk a little bit about that? I think I think you know that's part of success is understanding each of those. Right. Um, we had this opportunity in downtown Akron where Medical Mutual was in the provider business. So they had staff HMO model. They were getting out of the staff HMO model. They also had a pharmacy in the building. Well, they were getting out of it. They wanted to divest out of the pharmacy. They said, you want to come into the pharmacy? The, the doctors are staying. They're not going to be staff HMO. The hospital's taking them over. Okay, sounds like a great opportunity. Low cost of entry. Went in, started doing great. Well, that location morphed over time. Um, the providers came and went. And at one point in time, there were no providers left in the building. Oh, wow. Because the hospital de-emphasized that location. You know, they had IT in what was our large provider office. <laughs> <laughs> so at that point in time, it just made sense, you know, had to close that location. And that was right in 2017 when the reimbursement was horrible. Um, you know, it was a difficult decision because I knew we were meeting a need in that community, but un unfortunately, financially, we couldn't continue to meet that need. And if they added physicians back to it, would there be an opportunity? I don't know. But can't look back. You just have to learn from it and have to look forward. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, there there's so many different things. I started just kind of going through a list of some of the opportunities that you've taken uh, you know, immunizations we talked about, um, embracing the adherence packaging. So working both for uh, retail adherence packaging as well or, or just for the closed door? Well, we if we get a patient in a retail location that is struggling to manage their medications, we refer them to the closed door pharmacy. And it's essentially medical at home at that point in time because we're providing uh, Mars type 
information, medication administration records, so that family members can help manage that that patient's meds uh, with not a whole lot of individual involvement. Sure, sure. So are you um, doing all of your compounding there at the original location now as well? Yes, yes. So when we were doing all the remodel to add the closed-door pharmacy, had to make, add a bathroom, had to do some HVAC work. So the general contractor we were working with said, you know what, Barry, I know you didn't want to do the compound lab right now. It just makes sense because we're going to have the trades out here. We're going to have the plumbers, the HVAC people. Let's just do it all at once. So we did that and, you know, tore up that whole area at one point in time. It was, it was a challenge during going <laughs> through it, but I'm glad we did at that point in time. Yeah, for sure. So uh, what kind of compounding are you guys doing primarily? We do all non-sterile compounding. Uh, main focus right now, we're trying to uh, differentiate more is we're very heavily in, in pain creams uh, uh -huh. because that has been with the opioid issues. That's been an alternative that have given patients a lot of relief. So we have done that. Women's health is an area we're trying to expand more into. Um, we have some, but it's just not as predominant. And we do vet, but not significant amount of vet as well. So those are our big segments of our compound business. Yeah. So, so again, is it, uh, you know, is it Barry going out to all of these different uh, physicians and trying to grow those relationships or, or have you kind of brought in other team members to help manage those uh, opportunities? Yeah. Uh, other team members, without a doubt. Um, I, like I said, at this point, I don't want to emphasize myself. I want to emphasize what clients means, but not me as the person. Um, I want to keep the legacy going of, of what we've set up in our community. And people just think of clients, not of, of me. And I, I think that's the case right now. And I'm very proud of that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Almost when, uh, when they walk in, they see your name tag and they're like, Oh, any relation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that, that's really cool to have, you know, the, those members of your team that are also that ingrained and, and, you know, that, um, that much of a, of a fixture in the pharmacy. Right. You know, you hear about culture and that's really something that we work on and we're continuing to work on is, you know, what is, what are our values? What are we trying to do? And making sure at the start when we're hiring somebody, do they understand what their role is and what we're trying to accomplish? Um, and then if they buy in with that, it's much easier going forward and continuing that. Yeah, it's the the old Simon Sinek adage, the, you know, start with why. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when you when you when you understand the why, the the what's make a lot more sense sometimes. <laughs> so Right. And and I guess I'm fortunate because you know, the why, my why is pretty easy. And I used to joke about this when we were in pharmacy school, you know, my, my goal was save lives and stop out diseases. Uh, but to a certain extent, that's what I've been able to do for my career is I've really been able to help people improve their wellness. Um, so I've met my why. And I think that's why 30 years later, I'm still so passionate about it. Yeah, that's such a such a different version of what a pharmacist is than somebody who dispenses medication. Right. 
So that's that that's you know when when you have that kind of mentality, you can see where you're gonna going to identify those opportunities and 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 keep moving forward. Right. Right. So um, we talked a little bit about COVID. Uh, the last year has been pretty interesting in Ohio with, like I said, provider status, um, some of the changes that COVID brought in to, you know, just how how we all had to adapt. Uh, so, you know, curbside was something that a lot of people introduced that maybe they hadn't done before. A lot of pharmacies maybe started um, – you know their their first point of care testing, their first immunizations. You know what 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 do you see coming out of uh, the last two years that that is a positive that that you want to roll forward? Well, to your point of curbside, why in the world were we not doing curbside before? I, I have no idea, and the staff love it, the patients love it. So why weren't we doing it? Why did it? This event prompted us to finally come up with that solution. That's the thing that I, I constantly talk to the staff about. Let's not have one of those opportunities. Let's look forward and say, how can we fix this now without having to be pushed to do it? Um, because we were pushed to do it, and we should have done it a long time ago. Our building's not configured for a drive-through by any stretch of the imagination. But it, it was an amazing opportunity. To your point, then we started doing curbside testing. Um, you know, it, it's just opened up the Pandora's box of different opportunities that we could do. And what are those other unsolved problems we have right now that we just need to have a little out of the box thinking to come up with a solution? Yeah. You know, and it, and it really comes down to, you know, that that efficiency that, that enables the next opportunity. Um, you know, one of the things uh, that our developers were able to do during COVID is really, you know, pivot and, and provide tools to, okay, with that in mind, if, if you're going to meet the patient at their car, what needs to happen? You know, you, you need to have their complete order together. So you need that kind of appointment based model. You need med sync. You need to be able to communicate efficiently with the patient via text. You need to maybe even the, the bagging system that we released where you can just have the everything in the bag with one barcode, you know, and, and really maximize that point of sale checkout, the, you know, over the counter medications being in, included in their sink. But all of those little things, you know, once you have all of those efficiencies and that appointment based model, okay. Now, what can you do with that? And that and trying to leverage all that with some of the other metrics that we're trying to do. Like you speak about MedSync. If we didn't have a strong MedSync program, it would have been hellish in the pharmacy. But we had developed our MedSync program to the point where it was working well. But now I look at the next level of how do we leverage that with our DIR fees? Um, and I'm late to the game. I'll admit it. You know, we're going to be really targeting in 2022 how to improve our DIR fees. Um, I talked to another pioneer, Rich Mace out of West Virginia, and he built into his pioneer system to really target his outliers. So mm -hmm. we're going to do that the same starting now. We're building it in now. So come 2022, we're ready to roll with it. Yeah, yeah, and that's one of the things your team has done well is is let the software kind of share that logic. 
Uh, I mean, your team's built out quite a few different uh, categories and then triggers that, that provide those workflow alerts when those specific scenarios happen. Um, but yeah, you have to leverage your technology because you're not going to identify those every time or even most of the time <laughs> if you're uh, looking at it. And you don't want to have alert fatigue. And, and that's where we've got to be very strategic about those alerts and making sure that they're happening at the right time for the right patients and we can have the right intervention. Yeah, for sure. So where, where do you see, uh, where, where do you see that going forward? Are you guys making home deliveries now or? Yeah. And you talk about over my course of my career, that was one of my jobs as well when I was younger was I was the delivery boy. <laughs> <laughs> But we do quite a few between the two locations in Cuyahoga Falls. We're doing 100 to 120 deliveries Monday through Friday every day. So, wow. it, and once again, leveraging the technology with the iPads and, and the delivery signature capture uh, has streamlined that, give us a lot of audit protection, making sure that we have those signatures. But, you know, that presents some other challenges when you start talking about those interventions. Uh, if a person has transportation issues, how do you get them into the pharmacy to get a vaccination, to do an, uh, an MTM? We do them telephonically all the time, but really get some eyes on these patients um, is always valuable. Yeah, one of, the, one of our early podcasts, we had Joe Williams on, who uh, was just telling me a story about a delivery where he noticed there was like a tree limb you know, that was low hanging and it was blocking the driveway and it was causing mobility issues for that patient, you know, and it's something that would never come up until you meet that patient where they live and really see those, you know, the, those challenges, you know, whether it's a, a, you know, a high step or, you know, it could be so many different things. Right. Right. And, and that's meeting the patient where they are. Uh, when you're having a conversation about a medication, you know, what is their obstacle? And understanding, they might not tell you that, but you have to kind of discern that from some of the things that you're hearing from them. And it might not be from that visit, but it might be from those recurring conversations that you have over a period of time. Yeah. So um, I guess it was probably five years ago, I made it up to uh, uh, Cuyahoga Falls. Cuyahoga. Uh, Cuyahoga. I, I miss, I, I mess it up every time. Also, is it, um, what, what, what is the appropriate term? Is it Ohioans? Yes. Ohioans. Ohioans. All right. <laughs> so, uh, I made it up there maybe five years ago and, and we talked and one of the things that, uh, you were focused on five years ago was practicing at the top of your license. Uh, so it's been five years. There's been a lot of changes. Um, you know, the provider status, you know, where do you see ideally, you know, what's a, what's a utopian vision or maybe a very obtainable vision of, uh, of services you're providing next year or two years from now? Well, as we brought up previously, it's the pay to, payment model needs to evolve. Um, yeah. I, I think there's opportunities. I look at the chronic disease states, um, and I know from personal experience, my goal is I want to stay well 
and I want the doctor to be taking care of the providers to be taking care of patients when they're not doing well um, because they're a stretched resource and primary care providers are going to get stretched even more as the statistics that I've been reading. So how do we keep patients that say have diabetes, keep them within normal limits so that they're only seeing their provider, you know, once, twice a year for their thorough physical exams? Um, what can we do there? Hypertension, high cholesterol, all those things. How can we keep people well should be our focus um, and collaborating with the physicians on those patients and making sure that, you know, we've got the, the patient as, as everything's revolving around and not having tunnel vision. Um, I think that has creeped into our medical practice way too much. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the really interesting, you know, thing to see moving forward. So many pharmacies that are, that are stepping into that, that medical kind of arena where it's, it's medical billing. And, and a lot of times you see that happen with, you know, the access to the prescriber's EHR. What's really going to be exciting is, you know, that, that future of care planning where, you know, all of those codes are disseminated from, uh, you know, that, that standard information packet basically. But yeah, it's, it's really interesting to think, you know, about doing that without relying on a prescriber's system. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, right now with the way Ohio Medicaid's collaborative practice agreement and to bill for any of these services, we have to have a collaborative practice agreement. So you take our patient, a mentally ill patient who also has diabetes, um, might also have a cardiologist involved. So you could have three different providers, psychiatrist, uh, endocrinologist, and, and a cardiologist treating that patient, plus potentially a pulmonologist for some of our patients. So to be able to bill right now for any of those services, you would have to have a collaborative practice agreements with all of those separate providers, which makes it makes it very challenging. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from the outside, whenever um, you explain it to somebody outside of pharmacy, when you say, yeah, look, so here's these, you know, five major medical professions, all writing medications that are, you know, this one's causing side effects, which is causing this medication to be prescribed in the first place. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and you, you're really that hub uh, and, you know, and, and the main, um, you know, and, and the main picture of billing, you're, you're basically only getting paid for that, uh, that dispensing. So it's, it's exciting to see that awareness begin to change. Um, I, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, push out there for more transparency, for higher reimbursements, which is nice, but it's, but it's still not really addressing what you're doing every day and, and where you're really focusing. Right. I, I mentioned it earlier. There's so many resources in the community with community pharmacy that we need to leverage that so much more. And in some parts of the country, they have to because it's their only access to any type of medical care there is. Yeah. Yeah. That's been one of the um, like it's an it's interesting how many different types of community pharmacies there are. But as an installer, by far, I spent way more time in those kind of uh, rural areas where, you know, that pharmacy is such an important 
hub for community, for, you know, medications, but also that, that first line of, um, you know, before I drive 30 miles, you know, to, uh, you know, I'm going to go talk to this medical professional. I was actually in a pharmacy, uh, visiting somebody and, uh, a customer walked in with their hand all bandaged up. <laughs> they said, Hey, do you think this needs stitches? <laughs> and I was like, wow. Okay. I- <laughs> uh, it, it, it's it's like everything. Well, it's about the relationship and they have a relationship with that pharmacist. They value that, that relationship. And depending on what needs to be done, you know, if the pharmacist says, this is what I need to do, a lot of times that's what they'll do. And that's where I want to make sure going forward, Kleins is always has that relationship with those patients that they feel comfortable coming in and ask us those questions. Yeah, because you guys are not necessarily in a small town. Like that's that's a good sized town. Right. Yeah. Coggin Falls fifty thousand and we're adjacent to Akron, which is, you know, a couple hundred thousand. Yeah, and that's and still I I remember a, a very, you know, neighborhood feel, which which I really enjoyed and and your pharmacy there. No, it's it's a it's a very nice community. Yeah. So, um, what other what other uh, other opportunities do you see down the road? Are you going to have a uh, a fourth location, or are you going to keep it at three? Or if you did, uh, even even theoretically, um, you know what what might you pursue? I'm always interested. Honestly, I, it, it's like I said earlier. Three locations seems to be the sweet spot. Um, yeah. where I can sleep at night and, and I want to keep sleeping <laughs> at night. Um, it's one of those things that you'd take for granted until you can't sleep. <laughs> um, I just want to, like I said, continue to build out what we are. And, and I like this phrase, uh, stronger, faster, better. How can we get stronger, faster, better? Yeah. How can we do what we do better? And that's leveraging the technology we have and understanding the technology and utilizing the technology to the maximum capability. All along, it, it's all about that relationship. So how do we build better relationships with the patients, with the providers, with the ancillary services that, that we interact with? Yeah, that's, I think that's great, man. Look, look for those amazing opportunities and, and focus on the fundamentals. Right, right. I'm a big football fan and, you know, you got to block and tackle. You can have a great play, but if you're not blocking and tackling, it's not going to work. That's awesome. We, we could probably do like a whole, uh, a whole episode of just, you know, uh, uh, comparing to football. <laughs> but I'll, when we have that episode, I'm going to send Howland in to, to, to argue college ball with you. <laughs> I've already taken it to task many times, so I'll, I'll be ready for it. All right, Barry. Uh, let's go ahead and wrap up. Thanks so much for joining us. And I, and, I do uh, want to mention something else here real quick, Will. You, you bring up Josh. The development team, what they've done for Positive ID, I do greatly appreciate it. Um, I think that's going to take a great deal of administrative burden that presently we have in Ohio away from us that we're going to be able to focus more on patient care. And I'm excited about that. Um, and that's where we've got to first understand from a regulatory environment, what's required, how do we implement that, and then make sure that we're doing it correctly, um, both to protect ourselves from a regulatory standpoint and to provide the best patient care. But I think 
And that's our goal the next six weeks is we're going to be working on implementing that. But I think that's going to free up easily one to two hours per pharmacy location a day. Wow. Yeah. So anybody outside of Ohio, uh, the positive IDs, probably not, you know, so much of a, uh, an issue yet, but you know, we've all seen those biometric scanners that we've, uh, implemented early on. And I, I think that was in part because of, uh, you know, the early, uh, Ohio biometrics for, uh, for, you know, the, the ID regulation. So, yeah, def- definitely a a concentrated push in that area, but probably something that we'll see, you know, across the country and and, and other states eventually as well too. So, sure, yeah, always always good to see the uh, uh, kind of those states that are leading the way and and bringing in those new requirements, those new demands. You know, being able to meet those needs and and then you know when it comes to uh, comes to your state, luckily uh, Ohio already figured it out, or North Carolina already implemented that, and so uh, yeah, yeah. Often it's uh, uh, rapidly changing, much to uh, uh, <laughs> some of our developments. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure they have kind words for the state of Ohio. <laughs> That's the other thing I'd like to just say is, you know, there's challenges, but then there's opportunities. So how do you focus on it? Do you focus on the challenge or you to focus on the opportunity? And so what are we going to be doing going forward is, you know, those challenges are going to create opportunities. So finding those opportunities. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's uh, kind of, kind of the same ideology uh, with, with development as well. If we're able to, you know, meet those needs and give the best tools, you know, then, Perfect. Win-win. <laughs> right. Right. So, all right, Barry, thanks so much for joining us. I hope, uh, I hope I'm going to see you on the road here before too long as we uh, start to venture back out of our caves again. Yeah, I, I can't wait, honestly. So I already have uh, the dates in, for Nashville conference penciled in. So hopefully we'll, we'll see you there and get to learn more. Awesome. All right. <laughs> thanks so much, Barry. I'll let you guys get back to it. All right. Appreciate it, Will. Good seeing you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Scripts, presented by the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please support our channel by liking, subscribing, and clicking the notification bell so that you'll be notified anytime we post new content. To stay up to date with all of the latest independent pharmacy news and content, follow Pioneer RX on your preferred social media platform.